0: Hello, and welcome to our second episode of the Circular Economy Playbook, the podcast which shares real world stories on circular matters that are reshaping London and the world. Hello, I'm Ali Moore, and this is Wayne. Hello. Wayne Hubbard, our CEO. It's <laughs> very abrupt.
1: Yeah, well, we've had some feedback, haven't we, about my voice? Yeah. So I'm projecting. Good you
0: yeah. can keep
1: projecting projecting
0: yeah so just a quick reminder we've also had some feedback on how refreshing it is to hear a raw and un, unpolished uh production on the podcast yeah um, so we've
1: taken some steps to improve our production values um, and this for those eagle-eared can you be eagle-eared i think so for those eagle-eared listeners we will notice that we we're in the kitchen area and we've turned off the extractor fan yeah <laughs> So, production values have leapt as yes. a result,
0: yes, but just a quick reminder: this is done in our circular offices in the heart of Shoreditch, so we will have some some you know it's, this we're not in a professional studio, but that's fine. this is real world matters
1: yeah this so. is that's right. this is about the we're not we're not we're not polished, we're unvarnished
0: yeah, and today, we are going to be talking about a very polished industry, um which is the fashion industry. so why is fashion important to us then?
1: Well, I mean, f- just purely from an economic perspective, um, I've got some figures here from the British Fashion Council and they say that um, the value of the UK fashion industry to the UK economy is £26 billion. That's huge,
0: that's, isn't it?
1: It's a, it's a big, that's a a big number. Figure. And um, they also say that um, the UK fashion industry is estimated to support Seven hundred ninety-seven thousand jobs in the UK now. Clearly, London is a major uh, fashion, global fashion centre. Mm. So, a lot of those benefits and a lot of those uh, um, jobs will be in London, not just through design, of course, but through retail.
0: Yes, of course. And with, you know, fast fashion is massive amongst young people in particular in London. So, it's a, a major contributor. So, that's the economic perspective but what about the environmental impacts?
1: There are some stats out there it's a bit out of date I think really because um, it re- it refers to uh, some studies that were carried out in 2012 but nevertheless I'm going to give um going to have a go at trying to just articulate the size of the issue so apparently um, textiles so not necessarily fashion but clothing and textiles equates to around about four percent of um, household waste arisings in London I think that's a England wide figure okay so for London if you were to apply that apply that 4% it would be around about 120,000 tons of clothing that's um, unwanted shall we say okay each year that's a lot so that's a lot I mean I I, I can't I can't necessarily visualise 120,000 tons but it would be a lot it'd be a big pile of clothing Yes. Anyway, so um, apparently, according to RAP, at least, the latest figures I could find, around about 30% of that goes to landfill and around about 40 50% is reused, some in the UK and some overseas, uh, and only 14% is recycled and 7% is incinerated. So if you were to apply that to London... It would mean that we're landfilling around about 20,000 tons of clothing and textiles each year, which is obscene. And even if you incinerate clothing, you know, 5,000 tons of clothing goes to incineration. Again, these figures might be slightly out of date, but the thing about clothing and textiles is it's kind of like the perfect storm of a bad thing to throw away. Mm-hmm. Does that so make sense?
0: Completely. Yeah, I mean, the emissions from it.
1: Well, are if you really stick bad. it in an incinerator, it it's got a lot of plastic in mm. a lot of you know a lot of artificial man um, so made threads made from plastic
0: essentially burning fossil fuel
1: you're essentially burning oil yes exactly and if you stick it in landfill a lot of it biodegrades which if it's in the environment might be a good thing but if it's in a landfill it creates methane which as we all know is a powerful greenhouse gas yeah. so that's a bad thing so we don't want to throw this stuff away hence Ali, our campaign
0: love not landfill Obviously. Don't throw this
1: stuff away. Love it, not landfill it or incinerate it. Precisely. Can we have a. <laughs> love not landfill or incineration? That's not. Quite, no, that's that that. not as snappy This is why I'm not head of comms. Yeah, it? I think
0: that's exactly why you're not head of comms.
1: So, uh, yeah, so there's some stats. It's a lot. It's a big, it's a big problem. And in fact, i uh, got some more stats here. The C40, which is an organization of more than 40 cities, I think it's about 90 or 100 cities around the world who are signed up to reducing uh, carbon emissions, have done some really interesting work on consumption-based emissions. So these are the emissions associated with things that you buy and all of the emissions related to the extraction of the raw material, the production of the thing, the transport of the thing, the use of it, and then its final disposal. So that's important for cities because we're big consumers. So what is the real carbon cost? Of the things that we consume in cities, and they've done some excellent work with attempts to map what we would need to do in order to keep global warming to 1.5 degrees C, which most people most r- rational and reasonable people think is the, is a safe upper limit of, of global warming. so we would need to reduce our consumption by 30 um, percent sorry 50 percent in 2030 and 80 percent. In twenty fifty, reduce consumption based emissions, and for for clothing, mm. that means something like between three and eight new items of clothing a year.
0: What that we're allowed to. That buy? we're allowed to
1: buy to keep it within that. So that's that would that would be, for example, how reduced consumption of clothing could contribute to that. Now, I know what you're thinking, Ali. Does that include pants?
0: yeah well, you know me too well that's exactly what i'm thinking <laughs> i
1: like, don't know the answer to that i don't know, but I mean but
0: it's a, quite a tall it, ask it's a, it's a massive ask, like going is, down to eight, never mind three new items of clothing per year well, I, is, is pretty tough i, I, isn't I mean
1: it? We, i I don't know about you, but I was trying to work out how many new items of clothing i've bought this year,
0: and where are you at already given <laughs> that we're in September. Exclude
1: pants for the moment yeah Excluding let's do that. pants um. So I think I bought one pair of jeans, uh, yes, and leased one pair of jeans.
0: That's very progressive of does you. Does that count? No, I think that's not buying a new item.
1: So I can lease or buy second-hand items at will, but I can't buy new items. Well, it, I, think that that's, it I think
0: that's yet to be defined, isn't okay. it? I think we're clear about what the new item requirement is, but okay, what that so means for Okay, so leased one pair, models.
1: bought a pair of new jeans, bought a pair of trainers made from ocean plastic does that count
0: i think i think i think it counts but not quite as much, not as much. How, has anyone modeled it to we, this level of detail I'm i not think sure we should sure
1: we really should have spoken to the c40 before we should have done introducing this item um and then i think i've probably bought uh, a couple of t-shirts and some cycling tops i uh, probably up to about eight i think I think I Already. hit eight.
0: I think I hit eight in, in March January. or April. I think <laughs> I think I did, but I also do buy secondhand. But I'm yeah, that's no excuse for my shopping habits. Just to set this in context, so some figures around consumption, clothing production, and sales have apparently doubled in the last fifteen years. So we are fighting against the tide here. So the average person today. Buys 60% more items and keeps them in use for half as long as they did 15 years ago.
1: That's so, amazing! In 15
0: years. Yeah, in 50. So 15 years seems to be the magic timescale. So clothing production and sales have doubled in the last 15 years, and we are just we're we're keeping the clothes closed so, for half as long so as we did 15 years ago. We're buying
1: more clothes and using them less.
0: Yeah, we're just burning through them. I mean, almost literally in London, you know, we're using them and then chucking them really quickly. So asking people to reduce down to between three and eight new items per year in that context, it's just getting harder every day to ask people how to do this.
1: This is new items though, okay? Mm. So we're talking about the the linear model of consumption here. Yeah. But we're making the assumption, and I think it's a good assumption to make, that we can access clothing in a more circular way mm. and that will allow us to continue to have access to new clothing.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And we won't, uh, we won't hit our max target. So we're going to talk, aren't we, about some of those new circular models we are. that the fashion industry is starting to deploy and that as consumers or, let's say, users, service users we can access without tipping the the scales of the uh, of our of our consumption into the red exactly good
0: but before we move on to those new circular business models in the fashion world a quick thing from uh, so in the last episode we heard from Ifaz Ahmed who is a um, garment manufacturer in Bangladesh um, about some of the approaches that they're taking on a local level to circular economy but We've got a quick clip of him talking about how that hugely accelerated consumption that we see happening in the fashion sector impacts him further down the supply chain. And I think that there's a lot of people who've echoed this uh, in conversations that we've had over the last few months.
2: You see now... um instant gratification is becoming a norm. People want things quickly. People want things, uh, you know, at their fingertip from the click of a button on their phone. So I I think that has kind of driven the industry to look for faster products. And also because consumers want... they're, They're not looking for durable goods. So they're looking for something that's fashionable and not necessarily the best quality. So you do see some push from customers to go for... Cheaper products um, that will be turned around quicker. So producing quicker means you have to have idle capacity. You can't just you can't have a very well planned capacity in a very short span of time. So that's a cost pressure. Is that we ha- our production costs are increasing, not only because of the short lead times, but also you know there's inflation, uh, labor wage inflation also in Bangladesh and energy costs are going up. So those are pressures, and um, on top of which the customers face pressure from competition to kind of keep the same margins and also be able to sell more garments. So it, it's difficult to say where this will actually lead, this inflation in cost and deflation in prices. It's, a, it's become an industry norm that we all talk about, but unfortunately we don't know what the solution would be.
0: So that was as talking about the impacts of our fast fashion behaviour. So here in London, as we buy items and the way that we buy items and the frequency with which we buy items increases, it has this impact further down the line.
1: It doesn't sound, I mean, it doesn't sound economically sustainable. It sounds like a really hard business to be in. So he's getting squeezed by... His cost going up because energy prices are increasing, he's, he's got to pay people, quite rightly, a decent wage. We've got on-demand issues that he's got to keep idle capacity available so he can very quickly switch his uh, his manufacturing to meet the latest trend. Yeah. So that's a cost to him.
0: And the number of seasons in a year is now, you know, it's almost 52. If you look at the, you know, the, the speed at which brands and retailers are bringing out new, new material, new stuff,
1: and then he's getting squeezed from his customers, which presumably they're the retailers. Yeah, he's getting squeezed because they want it to be more competitive on the high street, so they're willing to pay exactly. less. So his, his costs are going up he's getting paid less. And then, if we think about the whole supply chain for fashion and clothing, um, again, I, I refer you to the the C40 report is called the future of urban consumption in a 1.5 degree C world it lists out the carbon contribution of uh, of carbon emissions at each stage of the supply chain so for example almost 30% of the carbon emissions associated with clothing come from electricity generation but then a further 11% come from fossil fuel extraction So the extraction that's associated with the emissions. Livestock rearing is almost a quarter, 24%. So
0: that's leather and wool and that kind of thing?
1: I guess. uh, On-site crop agriculture emissions, 8%. And then transport is 6%. So we've got all of these emissions that, I guess, as a a consumer, we just don't necessarily think about. They're not Mm. at the front of our minds when we're buying clothes. And yet there's a whole raft of co2 emissions associated with that one purchase and you can start to see why reducing the number of new clothes that you buy has more than just the impact of its recycling or its disposal it has this wake this co2 wake that it leaves of emissions that contribute to global warming
0: yes you can't just keep on buying new stuff and then saying it's all right because i give it to charity after two weeks when i've had enough of it that seems clear. So what can we do about this then? What does the circular economy have to offer in this context to help us deal with that? What are our What are our models? Because we've talked in the last episode about um, uh, the sort of classic overarching circular economy business models and the way that they apply themselves in the fashion sector are very specific.
1: Well, I think you had a conversation with our local in-house specialist.
0: I did. I had a a good long conversation with Andrea, Andrea Crump, who is our um, sustainable fashion um, guru in-house in terms of circular economy business models in that sector. Um, And we started by talking a bit about longevity, which is basically clothes, making clothes to last, classic clothes, which have good durability and repair, which is associated with that as well.
3: So one of the ways that brands are looking at increasing the circularity of what they do is looking at how they can make the items they produce last longer. So you're talking about high quality items designed for longevity, designed for use. So as well as making sure that you have a better item, you're building loyalty. With your customer because they know that you have a dependable item that they can really rely on, and Forward are doing that with their new outdoor wear. They've got some really interesting designs uh, that they're they're using. That at the end of the day they make sure that what they consider from the design stage is how they can be repaired mm-hmm. so that the item can last as long as possible.
0: So, I'm, well, I'm glad you mentioned Forward because I managed to catch up with Sarah Asmop, who's the Quality and Sustainability Manager from Fullstack Supply Company, who recently launched Forward, which is their new outerwear brand. Um, and I was chatting to her about a lot of these ideas.
4: What we believe is that quality is sustainability. We don't want to add sustainability as an add-on to the company. We would like to have it integrated in the core of the company. And we believe that long-lasting products have a less impact on the environment. We're launching a new outerwear brand in, in a couple of weeks. And this outerwear brand will be available in Europe, North America and, and Asia. And what we're doing is that meanwhile we're launching the brand, we're also launching a repair service so that in case your product fails or if they wear out after the warranty period or within the warranty period, we will support you as a customer to repair the products. And with this, we don't have our own repair facilities, but we do partner up and build long lasting relationships with repair centers. So Currently we have one repair center in the US, one in Japan and one in in Europe that we are doing uh, repairs with.
0: And that speaks to one of the themes that comes out every time we talk to people about Circular Economy, which is about collaboration and partnerships. It, are they really important to you in other aspects of what you do?
4: Yeah, it is. It is. We, I see that in terms of cir- circularity and uh, collaborations, it's not only me working with uh, repairs in the company that can be focused on this, but they need to be incorporated in the whole process so everyone from the designers who's doing the the product, products they need to know how to do good designs to be able to repair them and we need to have the focus on marketing of how we can get out our message and how to that customers actually will know that they can send in products for repairs and also then with the suppliers how we can talk to them about getting garments repaired We we see a trend that second-hand shops is being more and more popular and we also see that reselling of products is becoming more popular and uh, for us it's important to jump on that trend and to be fast followers because what we can see is if you if you can repair and resell your products or you can sell old stock products it's a win situation for us as a company.
0: Are there any challenges and obstacles that you've had to get over and what advice would you give other organizations for doing this kind of thing?
4: It's to integrate it within the company, because if you have a sales team that just wants to sell products and don't want to to repair products, then you you have contradiction within the team. So you need you need to have it from the core. You need to have it from the design of the products to to the marketing team, because otherwise it won't work. But also to find a solution that works for for your business. So for us, the best way is to work with repairs. But for other brands it could be, or other companies could be to work with bio-based materials or recycled materials and see how they can close the loop. Um, I think the challenge is to to get everyone on board and to to have that, that mindset that it might cost a little bit money financial wise, but we will gain on it environmental wise. And if you gain it on it environmental wise, you will probably gain customers as well, or the customers that you like to have. And I think that's also very important, but to get everyone convinced that that is the case.
0: So it strikes me that the outdoor wear business is probably really well suited to the whole longevity and repair model because people don't necessarily wear those items every day. They might, they Mm -hmm. wear them, you know, if there's skiing gear, for instance, you wear it like once, maybe twice a year if you're a keen skier. Never if you're me, of course. (laughs) But then and, and you, you need it to be durable and people don't yeah. necessarily want to change it constantly. But in faster fashion, the faster fashion you go, the less likely it seems to me that that model's going to work. So there must be some other mm. models that we think are better for that. So. Yeah,
3: uh, that's that's the thing. Uh, the good thing about looking at circular business models is that there are a range of models that suit different types of businesses. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah. So you have to look at financially what's
0: going to work for your business. So that was longevity, durability and repair. What's the next model?
1: Uh, Take back and resale.
0: Right. So that is brands and retailers taking back clothes that you're finished with and either them or somebody else selling them on.
1: Yeah. Usually they offer um, an incentive to the customer. So incentivized return or incentivized take back scheme. So you get a voucher or cash or some other benefit that you'll accrue from returning your unwanted items.
0: Okay, and we've got John Atchison from Stuffster now telling us a tiny little bit more about how that actually works in practice.
1: So yeah, John, just worth saying that John had done some work through Stuffster with John Lewis. There's an article in the garden, if you if you want to Google it, from June 2018 called Money for Old Socks. <laughs> so, But it again explains the the model, but we've got John here talking about it when we talked to him uh, early this
5: year. We partner with brands and retailers to allow them to offer their customers instant buyback of anything you buy from them. Um, and so once you buy something, then it goes into data system. I can go to the retailer's app or website, see my last five years of purchases, and every single purchase will have an instant buyback price stamped on it. And so if I'm not using it, I just say, great, I'm done with this, this, and this. Um, And when you're ready, you hit a button and we literally come to your door, pick up the items for free instantly. And as soon as we receive them, we then shoot you essentially an e-gift card for that amount of money automatically. So we did a pilot with John Lewis last year, and it was um, you know, much higher volume of resale than we'd even expected going into it. And it really kind of, I think, confirmed for us that we had cracked that nut, that we'd figured out how to get people to do things differently. Because most of the people who were participating had never resold anything in their lives. Many of them had ever even taken things to charity shops before their lives. They'd just thrown things out. So, um, so that was a huge, huge accomplishment
1: so that was john from stuffster who represents enabler i guess uh the middle person seeking to uh, offer a platform whereby clothes can be exchanged and you had a chat with andrea in a little more detail about the how this works
0: yeah and what the benefits are of this kind of model for a for a brand or a retailer one of the um business models
3: that's really coming up at the moment and really gaining traction is resale. So take back and resale. Uh, Because to a certain extent, um, the informal resale market has been growing and growing anyway. And businesses are starting to realise this and and realise actually that we can potentially access new customers by reselling items. So people that couldn't Afford certain higher end Mm. goods, are now Mm. able to, to through resale models. Usually, there'll be the company that do the reselling will get some of the resale value. Sometimes it works where the customer gets an incentive of some kind. So it might not be that they get the money back, but they get money off an item. purchase in the future Uh, if you look at farfetch at the
0: moment they are reselling handbags okay so you buy a farfetch handbag Mm -hmm. you carry it around for a couple of years you get it gets a little bit worn but it's still in good nick you get a bit bored of it you send it either back to farfetch or to some independent resale platform who collaborate with various Mm -hmm. brands including farfetch and they look at it they go it's worth £20, Mm -hmm. you will give you a £10 discount off your next Farfetch handbag purchase. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. So then the
3: company that sell on the item uh, will get some money from that sale. Uh, So will Farfetch. But the customer gets a discount off of the item. Not always, sometimes. I mean, if you think about eBay or um, Depop. We sell our items ourselves and doesn't involve the, the original, original, brand. original brand at all. Yeah. But that is what brands are realising yeah, is a lost there's a huge amount of value left in their clothes that yeah. are all their accessories that they are not accessing
0: at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that value is just like that basically they're selling. Essentially what they're doing then is they're selling an item to a customer and then... Washing, it their again. Hands, washing their hands a bit yeah. effectively if they're not doing the resale stuff, if they're not taking back that stuff. Yeah, they lose they all lo- of the subsequent value. They don't just lose the economic value in the clothes, they lose the customer.
3: Yeah. And the thing is, uh, it's not going to work for all brands because some brands may not want uh, to be seen as selling secondhand goods. But a lot of brands are realizing now that by reselling them themselves, they have more control over the market and making sure that authentic items are sold. So it's almost that they can build the trust, so they can build the trust through selling it through their own websites or their own um, pop-up shops because they will authenticate the item. So, you know, yes, it's a good quality brand. Yeah. Uh, it's not a fake that's come over from another country. I know that it's it's going to be high quality. And yeah. so people that didn't necessarily couldn't necessarily afford the item brand new, can afford it secondhand, uh, and they know they're getting a really good quality item yeah. from a certain brand. Plus, you've opened up the market to yeah. new customers that necess- didn't necessarily buy your
0: products in the first place. Yeah. So it's a win-win for the brand. Absolutely. And from a purely um, environmental perspective, you're keeping all of those clothes out of landfill from a yeah. you know, purely environmental impact
3: yeah absolutely you're making sure that they the you're getting as much use out of those items as possible mm. and um whereas if the person had gone on to buy something new then you've completely um, wiped out the need for a new item
0: yeah yeah amazing it's very compelling very compelling so <laughs> the challenges around some of these things obviously I mean I imagine that take back and resale that sounds like complex thing to do logistically as well
3: yeah it does need so you need to set up the take back system itself and if you think about when an item comes back the company aren't only going to have to take the item back they have to check it they have to photograph it if there's minor repairs they have to do the repairs they will need to clean it and then they'll need to put it on some sort of website or another platform or a shop to resell it so all of those stages have Hmm. to involve a lot of different
0: people so yeah it's very human isn't it it's like this is a very hands-on process it requires a warehouse it requires a logistics operation and then it requires it requires the tech platform that sits between the two
3: yeah but it doesn't mean that the brand all has to do it themselves there's a lot of companies that specialize in these kinds of services that they can work with uh, and make sure that they are doing the bit that they are expert in and work with the other companies that are expert in, say, logistics or uh, web platforms, things like that.
0: So that was a little bit about take-back and resale, which obviously requires quite a lot of collaborative effort between different parties. and But potentially it has a lot of, of brand benefits, economic benefits, customer benefits. The next model is hire and lease, which is nothing new, is it?
1: No, it's not. I don't, you know, I mean, you think about hire and lease, it's, it's been around for generations. You know, you would hire a posh frock or a wedding suit or, or fancy dress. Yeah. You know, whatever it is, when you have that very infrequent need yes. for some specific clothing, hire has always played a part on the high street. Um, there are some new models, though.
0: There are. Um, I mean, we've worked with a few startups in this space. So it's. I, I get the impression that it's starting to really penetrate down into the more everyday. It's a mechanism by which people can wear clothes that they might otherwise not get the opportunity to wear. So Rent the Runway is something that's really big in America where you can rent sort of expensive designer pieces for, um, for a period of time um, at a fraction of the cost.
1: But it's also starting to penetrate into areas maybe that are more more every day so yeah absolutely I have shall I tell you about my jeans yeah go
0: on so tell me tell me about your (laughs) jeans
1: I've I've leased a pair of jeans from a company called mud jeans so the the circular economy cognizante, is that a word yes they're out there they will say ah mud jeans yes but for those of you who have not heard of mud jeans they're a Dutch company who um, produce um, jeans that you can hire for a monthly fee of seven and a half euros.
0: That sounds like a bargain. How long do they last?
1: Well, you can, you can keep on leasing them uh, for as long as you want, or after a year, you can return them and lease a different pair of jeans, and then they will reuse the jeans that you return, or repair them, or recycle them.
0: There's no penalty for you returning them?
1: I don't think so, but it stays within their ownership, so they then return them back into the market. So there's no disposal of, of any jeans. The jeans stay within the system, so you have to return them. That's the benefit here. They're not going to get thrown away anywhere. They're going to get recycled or reused. Plus, they offer a free repair service. So there, there are aspects of different models that they're incorporating into this yeah. Into this model. And in and of themselves, jeans are quite durable items, so it's not like they're ephemeral mm-hmm. items. So it kind of works quite well. So I'm mm-hmm. trying it out. I'm quite happy with that. Good. You know, seven euros, 50. Well, I mean, in today's exchange, rate, right, it's, it's, um. Yeah, it's quite expensive.
0: It's quite expensive. It's still, it's still <laughs> As not we record this, yeah. it's pretty expensive.
1: But you yeah. get the idea.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, so you and Andrea talked about some of these kind of examples in more detail.
0: We did. And let's have a listen to, to what Andrea had to say about it. In London um, we
3: have some really interesting startups that are looking at slightly different angles on this mm-hmm. so new wardrobe and um, they look at hiring of items but it's more peer-to-peer hiring so oh. so where you um, might have networks of of people um, like at universities and um, they they make it easy so that you can actually share items between yourselves
0: yeah. would that not so just playing devil's advocate there i think because i think of hire as being something that you would do from a company that's got mm-hmm. a load of stuff and then you send it back to that company and they dry clean it and they prepare it for the next time it gets hired out yeah that peer-to-peer thing strikes me as having all sorts of difficulties relating to it not least of which potentially so say we did say you did it on a university campus mm-hmm. If I were on that university campus, I might be tempted to think, oh, I could do this without paying any money. I could just hang out with my mates and we could just swap things.
3: Which is what which is informally what's happening anyway. And it's I think it's more building on that. So where there's where you've gone through your mates and there's something that you want but you can't find, then there's something to fill that gap now and okay. say, actually, there's someone nearby that has a really nice dress that you want to wear, but you don't know them personally. So through this um, app you can access more people than you would be able to just based on who you know it feels like it relies on a certain scale
0: it like does you're going to run out of yeah. clothes quite quickly unless it's really big yeah that's why it
3: needs networks existing networks like if, if you're near a university or something like that mm. um whereas if if you're going through an organization a, a big company they already have access to huge amounts of stock and um, that they can let you hire
0: and then send back and they will wash it ready for the next person. And it does strike me as something that would work quite well at the higher end of yeah. the market as well. Is this is not something for sort of cheap, fast fashion.
3: No, it's so because you're relying on the number of times that you can send the item out to, um, to hire, it has to be able to cover the cost of the item the cost of all the logistics and the cleaning so you need an item that is going to last maybe a little bit longer than a fast mm. fashion item and also something um, that is going to last maybe more than one season um yeah. because so unless you're sending items. it out day after day after day and yeah. um, then you're not going to get enough wear out of it to, to recover the costs yeah. so yeah. yeah it works it works well on more classic items occasion wear um, higher end as well but that doesn't mean that you're not seeing um, emerging models for more high street brands on hire coming through as well oh. so yeah and some accessories i think
0: accessories are probably pretty good
3: for that as well the handbag handbags is, shoes yeah there's a lot of those um, a lot yeah. of different companies that are doing that now
0: yeah So that was hire and lease and renting clothes, one that's really closely related. And in fact, we've had a conversation, haven't we, Wayne, about, you know, what is the difference between renting the hire and lease models and this model, which is subscription?
1: Yeah, I think there is a difference. I suppose it's quite subtle, but the subscription models, it seems to me, they provide you with the service of, of clothing, if I could put it that way. Mm. And the best example of this is when it's providing a service to children's clothing, Mm. So, obviously, any parent will know that children grow really quickly when they're very young and continue to do so. And yeah. therefore, you'll often find as a parent that you've got clothes that your young child has only worn once or twice before you, you no longer need them. So this is a great market for subscription clothing, for clothing as a service. So, there's a company who we know called Bundly, Bundly, yeah, and they provide children's clothes and as the child grows they you send the, the old clothes back and they provide you with some uh new clothes or clothes that have been used previously within their system and are appropriately ready for reuse as your child grows the next size up it's hmm. so a so um, great it's a great some system. Monthly, bundle, a monthly bundle through
0: the post. let's have a, a listen to, to an interview that i did with eve from bundley I'm Eve Keke and I'm the founder of
6: Bundley, and Bundley is the UK's first baby clothing rental subscription. Parents subscribe to rent baby clothes and they join up to our monthly subscription and this basically gives them access to clothing rentals whenever they need them. So they rent a bundle of baby clothes um, to fit the child's size and the season and then a few months later down the line once the clothes are outgrown they simply return them to Bundley to get the next size up. We've been in like, soft launch for a year, so we've trialled the service with parents across the UK and got a lot of feedback. Everyone's been so, so helpful in helping us just improve bundling and make it the best it can be. And now um, we're preparing to relaunch. When people have a baby, they start thinking a bit more about the future of the world that their child's going to grow into. And at the moment, it's a pretty scary prospect. So they want to make sustainable switches where they can, but at the same time, they do have this new baby who's really taking up quite a lot of their time and they don't want the sustainable switches they make to be hard or time consuming or really expensive Um, so that's why with Bundly we really focused on making something that was super convenient for parents and really easy and just like added to their lives
0: as well as being sustainable. So we were talking about what the difference is between a rental service. This might be one for the circular economy geeks out there. (laughs) What's the difference between a rental service and a subscription service? And you interestingly call yours a rental subscription service, which feels like a hybrid.
6: Yeah, so I guess the way I describe it, I always say we're a baby clothing rental subscription. And the rental side of things is, I guess, the more circular aspect, so it's the fact that the clothes are going to someone to rent and once they're outgrown they return to us and then we send them on to the next renting person Um, and then the subscription side is more the way our pricing model works so it's the fact that they pay monthly for this rental service
0: so that was eve keke from bundley she's the founder um, of that really fantastic company i think she's got her pitch absolutely perfect if i'm honest that whole idea that there are new parents out there who really want to do the right thing environmentally um but want a really simple solution and I think that she's developed a perfect answer for that
1: yeah and and the whole children's um sort of products for kids in mm-hmm. so services instead of things that's a great area to exploit so that could apply to bikes that could apply to clothing it could yeah. apply to anything that Needs to get bigger with your child. Absolutely, it's a great area to go for.
0: It is. It's fantastic, and I think actually you can pre-subscribe for the Bundley service on their website already. So have a look for Bundley Bundle with an extra e on the end. So we've covered quite a lot so far. We've covered longevity and repair as a way of you know reducing consumption, um, making clothes last longer. We've covered take back and retail and resale uh, propositions. We've covered hire and lease. We've covered subscription. What haven't we
1: covered? um we haven't really dealt with recycling materials from clothing back into clothing so so so-called fiber to fiber we haven't really dealt with that i don't think and i don't think we've really dealt with the whole area of using recycled material per se as a as a raw material for your your clothing which is after all a circular Mm. economy business model so making your things out of recycled material Mm. so we heard about adidas's trainers where they take ocean plastic we haven't really gone into detail about that there's probably much more we could look at there
0: yeah So we were talking to someone recently about looking for uh, turning waste food into textiles, into soft textiles. Okay, so the
1: whole area of alternative materials. When we when we went to um, the Copenhagen Fashion Summit a couple of years ago, they had a fantastic exhibition of all these different types of leathers, which were made from orange peel or Mm, whatever it was, pineapple. Yeah, that's
0: that's my favourite. I was going to call it pleather, but I can't. No, I don't think think that's something else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and um, we haven't really expanded the scope so we've talked um, specifically and intentionally about fashion but of course fashion is a subset of a much wider scope of textiles so um, we know that in London something like 120,000 tons of textiles are disposed of a year many more probably go into different types of uh, going to storage or or going to reuse but but textiles so that could be other kinds of materials, blankets or carpets, or are curtains, a big issue. Aren't carpets, they? Um, but also in the clothing area, we haven't really talked about workwear
0: mm.
1: and uniforms, which is
0: huge in a capital city like ours, isn't yeah. it? Of course, because there's what the police,
1: so there's a, the whole public transport term, for London, uh, yeah. you know, private security, and there are some really big issues there around security and safe disposal and safe reuse. So, mm. at some point, I you want to? kind of flag up that flags they go flags flags, flag up that this is something that you know we can't cover in the limited time that we've got but we'll come back to it another thing that we need to go into more detail about is how uh, these business models that we're exploring how they help to reduce consumption based CO2 emissions
0: Mm.
1: and to what extent so we kind of talked about the three new items of clothing a year and we you know we, we're not quite sure what this what that covers whether that covers whether if you buy leased jeans whether that counts as one of those items of clothing and we need to kind of just delve down into how the circular economy in general can help to reduce consumption-based emissions to what extent yeah and um how much it can ever be a uh Replacement, if you like, for just not buying things. Mm. That's, is that a
0: piece of data work that needs doing?
1: Probably. I think I'm flagging up uh, a future episode around this whole topic of consumption-based emissions, which I get a sense is going to be a, a bigger part of what we do, especially as as cities. You know, the mm. the cities are being the consumers of goods and services. What role do we have to play in reducing the amount of stuff? That we buy and how much does the circular economy mitigate the sheer wastefulness um, that northern hemisphere cities kind of have the potential to, to produce yeah well i look forward to that one fascinating stuff it is and fascinating. it gets really to the heart of the matter how can we save the world
0: yeah given that so many of us live in cities already and more and more of us will be living in cities over the next 10 to 20 years um, a really really vital topic. So that's it for the fashion episode for now, and um, it's, that's been quite a meaty episode, I think.
1: And oh, that's another one, isn't it? The meat, meat, the, meat the meat episode. Meat episode
0: yeah, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, talking of which, actually, our next episode is going to be about food, and um, we've already started collecting food. We couldn't have planned interviews. that better. Could we, we? we couldn't have done it. Perfect.
1: We could have planned it.
0: Well, we could have planned it, it but we been,
1: didn't. It might have been better if we had have done. But <laughs> hey. But it's
0: been fine. I think we've done fine. Um. So, yeah, the next episode is about food. Perfect. And we've started collecting interviews already. But if you have something interesting to say about food in the circular economy, circular systems for food in cities or food recycling or redistribution or any of those things, or making amazing stuff out of food, then please do get in touch. Hopefully that will be in the next six weeks. We'll get that one out. You can find us on our website, which is www.elwarb.gov.uk and have a look for us on social media. We are at El on Twitter and the London Waste and Recycling Board on LinkedIn. And we will be sharing more content through both those platforms and on our website over the coming months. So go and find us, give us a like, give us a listen and subscribe to the podcast if you've enjoyed it. Thanks and speak to you next time.